The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to be with everybody today, and uh, yeah, just a potent time as spring comes in, and COVID is spiking, and vaccines are happening, and on top of all of this, the trials of our officers involved in the killing of George Floyd here, happening here in Minneapolis. So a lot of activation, and of course different for all of us, given our locations and our sensibilities and our life life experiences, but just acknowledging all that's moving in our own hearts and around us. And the resonant conclusion is, always should be, it's not easy being a human being, a sensitive human being, living in a world where all of our hearts are conditioned by our genetics, you know, all of those millions of years of reptilian and fish and mammal conditioning, right? And then we're the recipients of all of that. And then we have on top of that, all of our cultural conditioning. And uh, well, we get a world like this, where there's a lot of injustice and violence, and it's our share of beauty and goodness as well. And one of the takeaways from our sit is, uh, you know, the, the theme today, the 16th step is all about giving up, letting go. And uh, there's, there's really a pervasive misunderstanding about letting go in a Buddhist context. And it, you know, it just doesn't seem to want to go away. And I, I think that's good because then it gives us a chance to keep talking about it. And I, it's more than just in the Buddhist tradition, you know, it's part of human culture, this, I think, wrong turn in terms of spiritual practice, which is, boy, the world, the world, having a mind and body, it really sucks because there's so much injustice, there's so much suffering, there's birth and death, there's aging, there's sickness, there's any number of ways power misuses power. It's power, right? And because we want to survive, we want to be on top of the heap, and we're afraid. And uh, so, a kind of common riff in spiritual life is like, get me out of here. And so, there's a lot of versions of transcendence that we see in human culture, like not really wanting to have a body not really wanting to have responsibilities, not really wanting to be complicit in what's going on here. Like, oh, that's your problem. That's somebody else's problem. Not really wanting to take responsibility. I mean, just in simple ways, like in our important relationships. And we can, in moments, have a sense that, you know, I really, we, the person I'm in a relationship, we really have it taken responsibility for keeping our relationship healthy. But we don't really want to go there. 
because to go there might mean we have to unpack some stuff and that might be a lot of work. It's going to be messy. I don't know what the outcome will be. I'll just let this slow slide toward disconnection continue. And we do that in so many ways. We do it culturally around these really difficult issues. I mean, it's I brought up the trial of the officers, but you know, if we just looked at our recent, you know, last 80 years of racial history in the United States, you know, where it's the the habit is to go toward burying the issue, imagining that we're kind of moving in the right direction and then you know, something happens that sort of brings it more to the fore. And then all of us in our own ways are activated by it. And maybe some changes happen. Maybe they're just temporary. But there's this very deep habit to bury what's difficult to do. So part of what we're doing in our practice is we're giving up that tendency to you could call it status quo, which is just letting habit energies do their work of just governing the dance of life. And we're, the way we sort of liberate ourselves, move in that direction at least, is we illuminate habit energies. We see them for what they are. How would we know, you know, as a natural process, a natural system, how would we know what to let go of if we didn't see everything that was moving. But remember, the letting go is really how we learn how to be a human being. And this is the shadow that I wanted to talk about. You know, we can think that when we hear about giving up and letting go as sort of a central teaching in the Dharma, in the Buddhist teachings, we can imagine wrongly that oh, that's the end result, we let go, you know, and that's that wrong turn towards thinking transcendence, get me out of here, I'm going to let go of my responsibilities, I'm going to let go of being a human being. I mean, it's almost, it, when you say it out loud, it's, the natural conclusion would be, I guess I'll just kill myself, as if that were the culmination of a good spiritual life, like exiting some way. And, uh, you know, when we bring it to light like this, hopefully it makes sense that, oh yeah, that doesn't lead anywhere. That's just aversion and fear. So the, the spiritual practice of letting go, of putting everything down, dropping attachments, is in order to pick up. We drop, so when we kind of, in a sense, step back into this embodied reality, we step back in having experienced putting everything down. So the embodiment of our responsibilities and our locations and our circumstance and our personalities, that embodiment, that kind of inhabiting our lives is uh, informed by having put everything down. There's an old meditation story told in the Buddhist tradition of, you know, really sincere practitioner putting in years and years, you know, at the local monastery, 
something like that and and having some insight but not really experiencing the full release of fear the full release of attachment able to respond as sangha you know this uh, awakened loving compassionate activity fearless activity so the person left the monastery the seeker left the monastery because they had heard of a famous um, master you know sort of proverbial master far away in the forest in the mountains legendary but nobody really knew where this person was evidently been in the mountains for decades and decades so he went in search of this famous teacher and spent a long time asking around where's this person getting further into the forests and mountains and all of a sudden one day coming down a little path in the mountains was this old person and from the descriptions that this uh, seeker had been given knew that this is probably the person and they were carrying the the teacher was carrying this big bundle of branches presumably to walk into the local village and sell firewood and maybe that's how they got their food and made their way in life so the seeker stops this person this older person carrying all the branches and says you have to help me i've been practicing for decades i'm kind of stuck please give me a teaching please give me a teaching and so the old person with the heavy bundle of branches on their back standing there just releases the straps and the big bundle just crashes on the ground and the seeker the student's mind was pretty ripe and he got it you know you gotta let go <laughs> you just let go of the burden put it down and they had this moment together student and teacher you know where the student gets it and there's this magic moment of realizing the truth of putting down what needs to be put down and then after a moment sharing that space together the student asked now what what do we do with this freedom and so the teacher grabs the bundle throws it up on their back straps it in and walks into town and uh that's a really beautiful um simile or analogy for us like we're not trying to get away from our responsibilities as a human being and dealing with the messiness of our human lives and our human communities and even if we don't survive climate change or uh don't fix what needs fixing we are happy like the the whole point of any freedom that we realize in our lives in our practice in our hearts is so that we can lean in that we can more fully inhabit what it means to be a human being so we don't want to aspire to becoming and i love this about the buddhist tradition you know there are these other amazing realms i mean they're described in these mythological terms these realms of light and of formless realms of love and you know deva realms that have just pure pleasures 
the most refined and beautiful pleasures. But all of that is seen as, you know, a diversion. And, you know, there's pleasantness and then it ends. And uh, not an answer to spiritual life, to pursue um, refinement, more and more pleasure in that kind of sensual way. What we really want is the heart's unconditional release so that the particular conditions don't matter. Whether we're in a hell realm, whether we're in a refined, beautiful realm, whether things are messy or things are simple. Because as long as my heart is dependent on really nice circumstances, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of those circumstances going away. There will be tension in the heart. There will be a contraction in the heart. So, you know, we have these phrases, die before you die, right? So this, this last instruction, so I'll just review the last four instructions. We didn't get there in today's guided meditation, right? We just ended with the third set of four, experiencing the space, really appreciating the beauty of the space of the mind, the space of the present moment, not the activity of the mind, not the activity of the body, but the space of here and now. And letting selfing cease in that space, because any selfing is just subtle mental activity, where the, the habit in the thinking mind subtly is to construct a sense this nice still space belongs to me. It's my peace. I'm here, right? We let that cease because it's not needed. Any of that self-centered activity isn't needed. So in that fourth, uh, third set of instructions, we're really learning to trust the stillness, the silence, and let everything else cease so that the mind, the heart realizes the cessation of selfing. And that really clarifies the path. And then the fourth set is really integrating what was clarified in the third set of instructions. And how by keeping the nature of experience, that it's impermanent and unsatisfactory and not so personal, keeping that in mind leads to dispassion, disenchantment, leads to the letting go, the cessation of selfing, which allows the uprooting, the deeper uprooting of all tendencies to cling, to be tight, to hold. So, you know, one way to sense this training in the fourth set of four instruction is really getting used to non-attachment, the flow, the free fall, the groundlessness of non-attachment. And that's just like on a, the level of a story. You know, how can I operate in my messy world with responsibilities, with my body, with my conditioned personality? How can I operate? How can it operate free of restriction, free of friction as a force of nature? And we have little glimpses of this you know, maybe when we're playing or doing some activity we're familiar with and we just enter a state of flow where for a few moments 
there doesn't seem to there doesn't seem to be a need for the idea of a somebody who's doing the life <laughs> that's being lived and that dropping away of kind of a center location of me we get this exhilarating sense of energy of flow and so this you know this has been documented and talked about in different circles not just in buddhist circles for a long time because it's a it's not that extraordinary of a human experience i mean even simple things like swinging on a swing you know when we were kids there's something about the fullness of that experience you know when that your abdomen i don't know what that it's probably a technical word for that sense we get when we're in an airplane or when we're on a swing and that that feeling in the gut but that fullness is so intense that the mind can temporarily forget the sense of self because in a way it's overwhelmed by a strong feeling that exhilaration or whatever that feeling might be and you know we might say in conventional language we lost the sense of self momentarily so the whole spiritual path that the buddha sets out is really about how to lose that sense drop the selfing so that you know operating in a world where we'll in a relative sense be unafraid of being a self being a person in relationship with responsibilities it's like when we realize what it that it can be dropped that it isn't this essential defining truth of our existence then we don't have a problem being a self so this is the mis, you know another version of the misunderstanding is we think that i'm a self now but i have to drop it and that's what the awakening process is about but it's really like whatever we mean by self the the path is about getting to know what that experience of self is it's just a construction it's a convenience that allows us to sort of do what we call life or civilization you know but it can it's not what we imagine it to be and that's the falseness or that's the delusion that we take selfing the i me and mine we take it to be more than what it actually is so the way we clarify that is we first we make peace with the body then we make peace with the activity of the mind the second set of four then we make we kind of really deeply appreciate the space of knowing the space of the present moment so we can experience we can realize that moment when selfing drops away and we don't have to nobody has to do something for selfing to drop away because selfing is an activity in the mind in the thinking mind basically but it's a very refined activity way of the mind framing right and because it's doing that it's an ongoing activity which means it arises and ceases on its own so you and i we don't have to somehow figure out how to stop selfing we just have to notice that selfing is ceasing all, all the time and then it starts up again and then it ceases and then it but when we catch that it ceases then we need to integrate the reality that selfing is just a construction that arises and ceases arises and ceases it doesn't point to some permanent essential truth of our experience as a human being 
And the way we kind of deepen that integration is, in the fourth set, is we keep the underlying nature of experience in mind, that it's ephemeral, it's uncertain, that it's unsatisfactory. And that's what really strengthens this quality in the mind of dispassion. You know what? To the degree I'm sensing that there's nobody behind, there's no me behind this that is going to be saved, I don't have to try to use sense experience to satisfy somebody or make somebody safe. So that's what dispassion is all about. It's like, it's not so much I'm giving up, you know, oh poor me, I'm giving up on sense experience because it can't really develop, deliver uh, permanent safety to me. It's realizing, oh my God, there's nobody that needs to be saved. And that shifts the mind's relationship to sense experience. And that's what that dispassion is. It's just what it is. And that that allows the heart to really more deeply integrate and uproot the tendency to cling. And it's sort of sort of like we're learning in our meditation and daily life to hit that place, to touch into that place over and over again. And every time we touch into that place, then our activity of being a person with responsibilities, with circumstances, it's just lighter. This is the Sangha that we take refuge in. Like, what is the, how do we become changed the more we touch into the space of letting go, of release? How do, what kind of person do we become? What kind of partner do we become? What kind of citizen do we become? More fearful or less fearful? More dependent or more independent? More capable of new, doing what needs to be done? Or, you know, more rigid and tight about everything, controlling about everything? So I thought like for the small group discussion and homework is just to look at ways that you um, can do this training, you know, kind of more practical places. So I mentioned um, at the beginning when I was talking about sila, the morality of restraint, there's also dana, giving, and just sort of any place in your life reframe as an activity of giving. So you're going to walk your dog and then really frame the putting your shoes on and getting the leash and putting your coat on as like this free giving, like I'm giving up whatever else I would be doing and I'm, you know, I'm doing this activity or um, contentment, just like learning to be, you see your phone, you see it's not as good as the newer phones, but you practice giving up the attraction to a better phone and being content with what you have. And notice the, the joy in that letting go of, and it's not like it would be wrong to buy something new. I'm this in this place now with my razor, which is kind of dull. I've had it for, I don't know, many, many years. And it's, it's a little painful to shave with it these days. And uh, so I've been like, leaning into the idea, oh yeah, these new razors are probably so much better because it's been so long and technology's improved. And and uh, 
Yeah, but it's really nice not to need another razor. I'm not, I probably someday I'm going to get a new razor. But it's like noticing the contentment, like, can this be good enough? Can this be good enough? And really like, oh yeah, there's a satisfaction, there's a joy in being content with what I have. And there's a stress in needing something more, something different. Yeah, just also another way is, um, I mentioned about restraint with our words, you know, and, and feeling that, sensing that as a kind of liberation. But another one is just around ownership itself, like just reframing everything that you technically own <laughs> in a legal sense, but just see it as something that maybe you're stewarding or something that is for you to use, but it's not technically, you know, in a real sense, mine. And so if for whatever reason it gets broken or somebody takes it or whatever, it never really was mine. You know, I have this house. Someday it's going to be somebody else's house. I have these objects. They're either going to fall apart or somebody else is going to eventually have them. And to really just have that sense of stewarding everything. Yeah, they're there. I can use it. It isn't wrong for me to use these objects. But I don't want to wrongly see it in no way actually is it mine that's just a convention in our language that we say this is my belt and this is my clock and this is my bell or whatever so just play with that like oh this is the car that i use you know this is the money that i get to use it's not really my money but it's i you know i can use it but I could give it to somebody else to use. And I don't even know like what to do with it because I'm kind of, this is the thing about having money. It's we're responsible. It isn't because we sort of know when we say, oh, it's my money to use for me. We sort of know that's a lie because the money that we have is just based on so many causes and conditions which are not personal that some of us have money and some of us don't have money. And so we don't really get away from the responsibility of using the money in a way that takes care of everybody. And that's sort of stressful. It can be stressful unless we reframe it, that that's what we get to do. Like we're the steward of this money, just like we're the steward of our privilege and our power and our whatever, our health. So what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with my health? And I thought for those of you who are able to stay for the small group today, it might be nice just to share about moments of delighting in letting go. Like some of you are parents and, you know, either we let go when we're parents because something gets ripped out of our hands. Like the idea that I have my Saturday morning to do what I want, well, that just gets torn away from us because the kids are asking us to do this and that. And so eventually, you know, wiser parents, they learn to go with it. Instead of every Saturday morning having the sense of freedom to do what I want, being ripped away from them and forced to, you know, go with the flow with the kids, they, we agree to let go. You know, we fully participate in letting go. Same with getting married or getting in a committed relationship. We let go 
of having sex or having intimate relations with other people. And that can be hell, or we can really embrace the, that letting go, you know, choosing to be content, choosing to go this way. This is like, um, you know, so in terms of delighting and letting go, it's a lot about how we frame things, our careers, you know, any choice we make means they're choices we haven't made. So do we create a hell realm about the other possibilities, the grass being greener, or do we let go? That choice was made in a way, the person who was going to do that, they died. Now this is the person, you know, and so what are we going to do with that person? Are we going to say yes? And even in meditation, you know, and, and concentration in particular, there's we're letting go the whole path of concentration, the practice of concentration, is a letting go. We're letting go of what the mind would otherwise be thinking about, proliferating around. So in a way, the person that wants to plan or wants to worry or wants to think, they get to die now in order for the concentration to develop. And it's, you know, really nice when the mind drops this and that. So you might want to just share how you've naturally bumped into experiences where you were delighting, really appreciating the capacity to let go, to give up, to drop and abandon. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.